Pastor Glenn Amos is sick. I feel very sorry for him. Uh, the holidays sometime our immune system gets down and we travel a little bit. And so anyway, he's not feeling well. I'm honored that uh, he asked if I could preach for him this morning, and I do count it an honor. Uh, back in October, in talking with Pastor Amos, I said, I have a message that I preached in my last church on 10 things you ought to know about the Lord's Supper. So anytime uh, you're going to have communion, you want somebody to do something like that, I'd be more than happy. I assumed he remembered that conversation and texted me on Friday and asked if I could preach and conduct <clears throat> uh, the uh, communion service. So we praise the Lord that uh, we are here. Uh, pray for me as we uh, have the opportunity to preach the word, that uh, <clears throat> my voice, my strength will be there, and, and the Holy Spirit will empower us and take uh, take the message and uh, make it a blessing and a help to us. Uh, what a wonderful way to begin the new year when you think about it. Day number one, first day of the year, to come to church and then to observe the Lord's Supper, sort of like, you know, getting off on the right start. So happy new year, happy January, happy new week, happy new Sunday. <laughs> Everything is uh, is starting off today and, and I pray for your pastor that he will recover quickly and and uh, be able to lead us in the, in the year to come. Uh, my message, uh, as uh, <clears throat> we want to present it, is 10 things you should know about the Lord's Supper. We want to study those 10 things before we take the Lord's Supper. 10 things maybe you say, well, I, I knew 1, 2, 3, 4, but I didn't think about 5, 6, or 7. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time in each, uh, each point. Here's my approach. <clears throat> there are um, two passages <clears throat> that I want to look at. <clears throat> I'm going to need that water, I guess. Two passages that we want to sort of have a running commentary. The first one is very familiar with, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So perhaps you want to turn there. And the other passage we want to look at is in one of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 26, where the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. And so I want to give sort of a running commentary on those two passages before I give you the ten things you should know before we take the Lord's Supper. And then at the end of the message, of course, we will observe the Lord's Supper. You'll be able to come up and pick up the elements. And uh, then we'll conclude our service that way with an appropriate song and trust that the hour will be very meaningful to us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to start there, but uh, we, we, we'll come back to that. Uh, it's called the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11, beginning at verse 17. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. They had a lot of issues, and one of the problems was they were not observing the Lord's Supper properly. And so he gives them some direction. He already wrote to them before. And apparently they didn't heed his advice. So now in this particular letter, he gives a clear direction on how to observe the Lord's Supper that will be beneficial to each of us in honoring to the Lord. And uh, he goes down in verse, um, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, verse 17, because they weren't doing it right. For your meetings do more harm than good. I hope that when we come to church on Sunday, it does a lot of good. They were meeting, and really, it was they should have stayed home, because what they were doing, they were doing more harm than good. 
in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. We know there was a lot of divisions and disunity in that church. And the whole idea of community, or communion is to unite us and make us one in Christ. And as we focus on the things of the Lord. But that wasn't happening. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Now, we want to stop there. But sometimes, why do we call it the Lord's Supper? Sometimes we call it the Lord's Table. And uh, we often call it in our church, I think in your church, communion. We have one thing in common. We gather together to focus on what Christ did for us. And we observe this ordinance that he has given to us and focus our hearts on, on him and, and appreciative to that. Now, before I finish reading uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, I want us to go back and, uh, and look at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. If, if, and many conservative Bible scholars believe that 1 Corinthians was literally written before any of the Gospels. If that's true, then 1 Corinthians is the first mention of the Lord's Supper, as we know it today. But we know the Gospel, Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke, all record how the Lord's Supper got started. And all of the passages all add a little detail. For example, I think Luke gives uh, the idea of Judas was at that supper, and uh, he was pointed out to be the betrayer. Uh, there was also at the Lord's Supper, a sort of uh, the apostles decide, who's the greatest among us? And the Lord had to teach them there. We aren't going to deal with any of that, but uh, if you would do some cross-references, you see a little bit about that. But uh, in Matthew chapter 26, let me, uh, let me read uh, this passage, give you a running commentary, and then I'll do the same in 1 Corinthians 11. And then uh, before we observe the Lord's Supper, I want to go through 12 or 10 things that we should know, and they'll be on the screen if you want to visually see it or write it down or help us to remember it better. But find find Matthew 26, and I'm going to begin at verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that took eight days. The first day was the Passover, the Passover feast, uh, that they observe annually in recognition of Israel coming out of Egypt from slavery. And so it was a special, symbolic, some of the items that were used were to remind them, to reinforce. This Passover feast is going to be observed probably on Thursday night, just before Christ is offered as the Passover sacrifice. The Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God. So on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? We aren't sure where they were, maybe in Bethany, but they're going to end up in in Jerusalem. And he replied, go into the city. doesn't say Jerusalem, but uh, we're 100% sure that that's what he's talking about. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says, my appointed time is near, because he's going to die. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. In other uh, 
other gospel, it talks about when you go to Jerusalem to prepare the Passover, there's going to be a man carrying a jar of water. And you follow him to the owner's house, then ask the owner if we could have the Passover there. Now, we aren't sure if the Lord had this all set up or just in his sovereignty that, uh, that the two disciples, they happened to be Peter and John, uh, went to the city. And you say, man, that'd be, how, how would you know of all the men that are carrying jars, which one should they follow to which house? Well, you need to know the custom of the time. Men did not carry water. The ladies did that job. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> they had that uh, heavy duty. It sounds like doesn't, that's not what we do in America. The men carry the, the heavy stuff. But the ladies did that. So to find a man carrying a jar, bingo, that was easy. They followed him to the house. And when they got there, uh, they, they said, the teacher, apparently this guy must have been a believer, we would assume, <clears throat> because he said, uh, <clears throat> You can, you can have the pass. And there, there's an upper room. And the disciples said, we'll prepare it. You understand that the, the Lord's table wasn't uh, the kind of table we sit around out in the fellowship hall. Uh, it was a reclining. It was a low table. You didn't sit in chairs. You lay on like couches. You lay on your side. So 10 or 12 around the table, the guy way over here, that's why he said, ask him, you know, who's going to betray you. They, 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 that, was, that was the culture of observing the Lord's Supper. So they went uh, and, and made preparation. Probably Peter and John maybe stayed there that day. And they had to. The elements of the Passover consisted of these things. They did it annually, the Passover. Uh, and consisted, you, you, you killed a lamb and you roasted the meat, and that's what you're going to eat. The Passover began, you know, when it, the sun set. And the meal itself lasted several hours up until midnight. And so th there was, there was a, a lot of symbolism, a lot of singing, a lot of praying, a lot of interaction. And they would eat the roasted lamb. They would, uh, they would have, I think, if my understanding is correct, they'd have three or four, we would call them glasses of wine mixed with water. Not just one, but several glasses of wine, maybe three or four. They would have unleavened bread because when they came out of Egypt, unleavened, didn't have any leaven in it. And they, that was part of that Passover meal. They had the, they had the roasted lamb. They had the, the wine. They had the unleavened bread. And then they had what was called um, bitter herbs. I'm not sure all that's involved, but when you ate it, it was bitter. It symbolized the, the bitterness that they had and the agony that they went through there in Egypt. <clears throat> and then they had a, a sauce or a paste made up of dried fruit that was moistened with vinegar and wine, and they would dip the bitter herbs in. And that, that supper, that, that Passover, began and, and lasted several hours, three or four hours. So it's not just we have communion in five minutes, it's all over. The Passover was, was pretty involved. So anyway, verse... Uh, Verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, all right? And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to one another, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who had dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written down. It was all planned that he came to earth as a baby, grew up as a perfect man, committed in 
offered its perfect body as a perfect sacrifice to redeem us from our sins. So that's going to take place. But woe to that man who, ter- who we know as Judas Iscariot, who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. They all, when you do all the cross reverence, they all said, It isn't me, is it, Lord? And they were hoping to say, no, it's not you, it's not you. They all asked it. They didn't know because they were reclining and you couldn't hear what Jesus was saying to betray. They really didn't know it was Judas Iscariot. When he got up and left, they just thought, oh, he's going to give some money to the poor. They didn't realize he's going to go out and hang himself and, uh, in that and betray the Lord. While they're eating, Jesus took the bread. I'm in verse 20. While they were eating, remember the Passover involved a lot of eating and symbolism there was always who if you had it in your home the head of the home would explain this to his family because the children as they grow up they are learning about the history of how God delivered his people out of Israel so the head of the home was always instructing always teaching always explaining and so Jesus with his 12 disciples there in the upper room was always explaining about the Passover But there's going to be a change in the Passover. He's going to institute what we believe now is called the Lord's Supper or Communion or the Lord's Table. He's going to begin that anew. Big change is taking place at this. It's really the last supper or the last Passover that he was at that he and then he instituted what is going to be called the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. So while he was eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, and this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. The old covenant was the Mosaic covenant, where they killed animals. You know, sometimes people say, I like to live in the good old days. Well, I don't think I want to live back in the days of Israel when you had to kill animals and sacrifice them to cover your sins. Uh, We praise the Lord that the Lord made it very simple today. No more animal sacrifice, no more human sacrifice. Jesus died once, and now we observe and we remember what he did for us and and thank him for it. When he thanked thanked and he gave the cup and he thanked and said he thanked, One of the words for thanks after he gave the cup is where we get our word Eucharist, Eucharist. When we think about the Lord's Supper, some churches would call it, we take the Eucharist. That really means thanksgiving. The word Eucharist is the word when he gave thanks. He gave thanks for these elements, but we give thanks today not so much for the little leavened bread we're going to eat or the little bit of grape juice we're going to drink. We give thanks for what it symbolizes in the death and and the resurrection and the coming of the Lord. Then verse 20 says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. We believe there's a literal kingdom coming. We call it the millennial kingdom. Uh, He said, uh, When that comes again, we'll... We'll observe it. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to Mount Olives. Well, we're going to sing a hymn at the end of our service. We aren't going to go out to Mount Olive. 
the, the, um, the Passover feast was always connected with the psalm, beginning with Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. It's the psalm of praise. And they would begin the Passover feast singing Psalm 113, Psalm 114, because you know the Psalms is a, is a songbook of the Jewish people. And they would end singing some of the songs of 16, 17, and 18. Very likely, if you were to read Psalm 118, <clears throat> which is interesting, Psalm 118 is about the middle of the Bible. If you didn't have a concordance and, and figure out where the middle of the Bible, Psalm 118 would be it. Just a trivial thing, you don't have to, that's not going to be on the exam or anything, but... Uh, <clears throat> But uh, they sang that song. It's a song of praise. And uh, they praised God uh, for the Passover, <clears throat> for the deliverance that God brought them out of Egypt. And when they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, let's go back to, um, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And let me give you a running commentary of that. And I will eventually get to these 10 things you should know. And I'll, I'll go through them quick, so we won't be here till noon, I don't think. But uh, let me begin reading again and make some running commentary. And then I, when I go through these ten things you should know, I'm not going to put a reference to it because they, they are built out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you can see uh, where, the, where they are. In the following directive, let me start again as I read earlier. In the following directive, I have no praise for you. Uh, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth who is communion. The, um, the early church had what they call love feast, agape, agape. Jude talks about the love feast. And uh, what they would do as a church, they would come together uh, with a meal, a regular meal, meat and potatoes and whatever you want to have for the meal. And at the end of that meal, they would observe the Lord's Supper that we are doing today. Well, what was happening in the Lord's Supper uh, at that time, these love feasts, uh, it, it became, you know, they, coming together is to show unity. And when they came for their love feasts, you know, if you, if you were a farmer or a shepherd, you, you brought in lamb chops and roast beef and mashed potatoes and, and, and you brought it all in and you ate it by yourself, you know, <laughs> you just, you, Another guy, maybe he's poor, he didn't have much, he just brought in some bread and water or potato chips or, you know, whatever. And, and he ate it by himself. I mean, the people that, instead of sharing it, we call it, church, sometimes church people have what they call potluck dinners. Well, I don't believe in luck, so we have providential platters that uh, we, <laughs> we design very carefully what we're going to bring and then we... But when we come, we all share in it. We, we all wait. We have prayer. And it's a great time of family and get together. Then that's what a feast should be like. And that's what we have here at our church. But in the, in the beginning time, both the love feast and the Lord's Supper were combined together. And the Lord's Supper sort of became like, there's no meaning to it. You guys just come and eat and pig out and you don't even wait for someone that might come in a little late. You, you don't share your food. And then after you have this, you have this add-on Lord's Supper. Now, as the church developed over the time into the first, second, third century, they divided, and rightfully so, maybe because of what Paul said. 
you better just stay at home. If that's all you're going to do is eat, why don't you stay home and eat instead of coming to church and eat? But if you're going to come to church and eat, let's share what we have and let's enjoy our love and our fellowship and unity together. So over the period of time, the love feasts were separated from the Lord's Supper. So three or four times a year, our church get together for a love feast, a potluck dinner, whatever you want to call it. And then we observe the Lord's Supper separately as we do today. And that, that developed over a period of time and, and that's what we practice today. So in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are division among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be difference among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's interesting, there's four times in this one passage, there are four times in this one passage, verse, uh, verse 18, when you come together, uh, verse 20, when you come together, jump down to verse 33, when you come together, and then a little bit later on in that uh, same verse, when you come together. When we come together as a church, it's important we come together. You know, thank the Lord for streaming. If you have two broken legs, a bad eye, you can't walk, and you're deadly sick, then stay home. But other than that, you ought to come to church, okay? Forget, forget, stay. If, if you can walk and get out, I remember in my home church when I was a kid, there was a man that always sat in the back of the church on a stool. He, he would come every Sunday, rain, no matter what, and he would lean against that wall. He was sick. He, I don't know all the disease he had. He could hardly get there. They'd have to help him up. And he was always there. In fact, he was there so much, you look on the wall, you could see the grease from his hair on the wall. I mean, he, he was just, he, he just came all the time. He, he wanted to gather in church. <laughs> and so I just bring that out. Four times it talks about Christians are to gather together. So the Lord's Supper is a time when we gather together uh, in the church. So when you come together, he said, it's not for the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remain hungry, another get drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink? He's not saying you shouldn't have supper and meals in the church. He's just saying, but if, if, it, if it's just to eat and you don't wait and you don't share, just stay home and eat. But we ought to come together regularly, gather together in these love feasts, these meals together, and especially as we have the Lord's Supper together. Don't you have home to eat, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? It kind of been embarrassing if you didn't have a whole lot. The guy next to you was eating pork chop. And, well, I guess he wouldn't eat pork chop, but lamb chops. <laughs> <laughs> what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Paul said, certainly not, you know. Paul was tough. Love is tough. Four, I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. Now, he knew what the Lord instituted and how it should be done. And so we're pattering what we read there in, in Matthew. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, we read that in Matthew, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is in you, do this in remembrance in you. In the same way, after supper, sometimes we take the elements within minutes, take the bread. It's interesting, you study Luke. I didn't, maybe over detail. I always, I always afraid as a pastor when I observe the Lord's Supper, bread first, juice, you know, you get 
you get thirsty and you drink it later. I always thinking, I don't want to do it the opposite. I don't want to give the, the cup first and the bread. But then in Luke, I found out there's a passage there that said they, they drank the cup first and the bread later. So maybe it's not as ritual as I think it is, but we are going to stick with tradition, bread first and the juice, the juice later. But uh, after they had, they, they, remember there were three or four glasses of wine or juice they drank. The first one they might have <clears throat> drank first and they had part of the meal. But uh, uh, one of these glasses was what they called the third glass. It was the cup of blessing. And we believe that that was the cup, that was the glass that perhaps the Lord took uh, when he changed the Passover into the Lord's Supper. No more Passover, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. No more killing of animals, no more observing uh, our time out of Egypt. Now if the church is going to begin and we have this, we have this supper we call the Lord's Supper that he instituted and he wants us uh, to observe it. So he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me and drink it. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. They've been, they've been observing this wrong for so long, we don't know how long, that the Lord was punishing these people by, they were sick. Now, that's not true with Glenn Amos, but he is sick. But uh, <laughs> not because he, but some even died. It was that serious. But when the Lord dealing with his people, he wants, to, he wants to correct them and help them. And so he said, it's important you get this, straight because the Lord is very very serious about doing it the proper way and in the right attitude and he said you know that some of you already gotten sick and died from it but if we judged ourselves we would not come under judgment when we judge by the Lord we are not disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world so then my brothers and sisters when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper wait for each other let's do it all together that's why we when we pass the elements just don't start it's just sort of symbolizing unity. We're going to eat it all together. Unity, love, oneness, communion, common with the Lord. And so wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. So the love feast could be a problem. If that's going to be a problem, let's just let's not have it. Eat it at home. And later on, like I said, it was separated. So that when you meet together, fourth time he's talking about when you gather together, when you gather together, it's important we gather together. In 2023, just determine, I'm going to gather together every Sunday. I'm going to gather together with God's people. It's important. When we gather together for communion, when we gather together to hear the word of God, when we gather together to eat a meal, when we gather together to do business, it, it's coming together, literally coming together in one place to conduct the ministry of the Lord. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when they meet together, it may not result in judgment. And then he said, when I come, I'll give further direction, maybe Maybe some small details that aren't important, but he gives an us uh, to help us here. All right, here we go. That was, uh, that was a running commentary. Uh, the rest of it won't hurt as much as, uh, as uh, maybe that did. But uh, uh, the first thing is <clears throat> on the screen, the Lord's Supper 
is an ordinance of the Lord of the local church instituted by the Lord. Uh, the word uh, ordinance is a Latin word meaning ordered. It was ordered by Christ. It's not a sacrament. When you eat the bread and drink, the, you don't get any grace. You don't get any infusion of spirituality. We, 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 we do it in observance. It's an ordinance. It was ordered by the Lord to do it along with baptism. And so it was an ordinance of the local church instituted by the Lord. It's administered by the local church. I believe in this very strongly. I practiced it for 51 years. We do not have ordinance at camp or nursing homes, or we do not have communion at camp or nursing home or Bible college. We have it at church. We don't have it, uh, you, you're sick and you can't come. We don't take communion to you to observe. We do it when we are gathered together. If you are able to get together, good. If you can't, God understands that. You might be in a nursing home, old age, and you can't get to church. God understands that. But when we are healthy and we can come together, we are to gather together, you know, in the church. Because it's an ordinance of the church. The church is God's special program to do his work. Acts, Acts 2, verse 42, it talks about some of the things that the church did. One was, uh, one was uh, doctrine, teaching truth, prayer, fellowship, and then it's called the breaking of bread. Dr. Odo was my pastor for a number of years, who is now president of Baptist Bend Mission. Every time we had the Lord's Supper, we talked about, he always emphasized the word the, the article the is in front of the breaking of the bread believe very strongly it was referring to the Lord's Supper, not just necessarily an agape feast where we break bread together and have a meal, but it's talking about breaking the bread of the Lord's Supper together. So it's, it's an ordinance ordered by God. We do it because God ordered it. God instituted it. It's important that we do it. So that's the first thing we ought to know. The second thing we ought to know, it's a requirement for the true follower of Christ to do often, to do often. Doesn't say once a month, doesn't say once a week, doesn't say once a day. You interpret what it means often. Most of our churches, of our type of churches, we do it once a month, usually the first Sunday of the month, just to remind us. But we are to do it often. It's, it's a requirement. It, it's not optional. If you are a Christian and you knew we we're going to do the Lord's Supper and maybe uh, I'm not just all I should be, so I'm not going to go to church today because they're going to do the Lord's Supper and that bothers me and convicts me. You are required to be here when we do the Lord's Supper because the Lord requires that every true follower of Christ will observe this ordinance often. It's for believers. I think it's age appropriate. I guess mom and dad, young people to decide how young a child should be or how old a child should be fully understand, but I believe it's for saved people who truly know they are born again and child of God. I believe they should be baptized in obedience. Maybe you say, well, I'm going to be baptized, but they aren't going to have a baptism until two months from now or a month from now. I think if God knows you're going to be baptized and you're willing to be baptized and that you are making a concerted effort to obey and live for Christ. I think those are the requirements, saved, baptized, making a concerted effort to live for Christ. Uh, some churches practice closed communion. There's a church in our 
state that I visited in when I was on vacation in summer. When they had the Lord's Supper, it was at 5 o'clock at night in a room off by itself. Church service started at 6. It was just for members. It's all right if they feel that way. That church feel like they want to control it. We believe in open communion. You might be visiting us today as a, as a parent or as a child from another church. Uh, you, you, if you are saved, baptized, and living for the Lord, you are more than welcome to observe the Lord's Supper. We are the body of Christ, the, the universal church, they often call it. And so we, we have open communion. Uh, it's a command. This do. It's not optional. It's... It's, it's something we are to do. Now, if you come to a point when you realize that maybe I need to get things right with the Lord, then it's wise that you don't take it. But the idea is that you come to church, get right with God, to observe the Lord's Supper, not to neglect it. Prolonged absence or neglect is spiritually unhealthy. Uh, it's detrimental to an obedient walk with Christ. Take it often. I remember as a visiting pastor, I visited a church, and they had the Lord's Supper, and we participated. That night, I went to my home church, and they observed the Lord's Supper, and I participated. I had it twice that day. Nothing sinful, nothing wrong. It gave me wonderful opportunity to examine my life. Maybe the Lord knew that, hey, Craig, there's some things. You really need this <laughs> uh, today. So uh, the third thing, it's a remembrance of the truth that Christ died for us. It's a remembrance of the truth, a remembrance of the truth that Christ died for us. There are two elements. The bread, the unleavened bread that was used in the Passover is the unleavened bread that we use in the Lord's Supper. Speaks of the sinlessness of the body of Christ. Uh, as, as we observe the Lord's table, it's the, the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ. And then the fruit of the vine, the cup, the grape juice, the wine, uh, is the Lord using our taste and smell the, 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 to, to arouse the remembrance. These elements are the remembrance of the order. Elements do not turn into the flesh and blood of Christ as taught by a large majority of so-called Christian. They said the bread and juice are chained by priestly consecration into the very body and blood of Jesus, and that this consecration is a new offering of Christ's sacrifice. This view is called transubstantiation. We do not believe that. Can you imagine Jesus was still alive and he said, this is my blood? Do you realize the Jewish people said, and he wasn't even dead yet, do you realize the Jewish people were forbidden, prohibited from drinking blood? For them to think this was the blood of Christ actually was, was not even in their wildest imagination so that we do not believe it. When we say this, when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, people say, see, he says it right there, this is my blood. In my app phone, in my iPhone, I have a lot of pictures and many of them of my wife in the various things we've done, trips and being with seniors. And I could take one of them out and bring it up and I say, this is my wife. This is Shirley. Is it Shirley? She's sitting over there. This is a picture of my wife in my iPhone. The, the bread is a picture. 
the blood is a picture of the blood of Christ. It represents. It's symbolic. He said, well, I know that. Well, you do, but a lot of people don't <laughs> and are ignorant of that fact and need to be understood. The death, the body, and the blood was a sacrifice for you. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper. Number four thing that we ought to know is an important opportunity for self-examination. For self-examination based on the passage of 1 Corinthians. It'd be good to say, am I really saved? Am I baptized? Am, am, I, am I making a concerted effort for Christ? Here are four or five questions. Let me just read them slowly to think about when you're going to examine yourself, maybe these questions will help us to seriously evaluate where I am spiritually. Because I don't know where you are. Pastor doesn't know where you are. Maybe your wife doesn't know where you are, but in your own heart, you know. So these are for personal evaluation. Question number one. Is there any known sin in my life that I have not confessed and forsaken? Any known sin in my life that I haven't confessed and forsaken? Have I wronged another or hold ill feelings to a church member? Being a pastor for so many years, it breaks my heart when there are people in a church. I'm, a, I'm not going to talk to that person. He hurt me 20 years ago. What did he hurt you? I don't know, but I, it was 20 years ago, and I'm not going to forgive him. They don't come out and just say it that way. You know, examine our heart. We are a family. We are not alike, but we need to love each other and, and accept each other and live with each other. Another question, have I wronged another is there anything that I should be doing that I'm not doing now? Not just, you know, maybe there's some things God wants you to do that you're not doing. Is God first place in my life as you self-evaluate? Is there anything in my life that Christ would disapprove? Do you evaluate it? Do I have the right motive in serving for the Lord? What am I doing? Am I doing it for my own satisfaction and glorification? Or am I doing it as a servant of the Lord? Now, the result of the self-examination is to confess, repent, and make things right. The goal of self-examination is to take the Lord's table, not to keep us from it. Before we take the Lord's Supper, spend a moment or two examining your life and get right with God. And and then be able to observe the Lord's Supper in appreciation for all that He has done for you. The fifth thing we should know is it is a necessity to observe it in a proper manner and correct attitude. Some people have interpreted unworthy. Well, we all are unworthy to be saved. None of us deserve the grace that God has given us, how he reached down and saved and opened my eyes and drew them to self and redeemed my soul and gave me the Holy Spirit forgave my sins and gave me hope of eternal life. It's not talking about that. It's talking about, it's a warning of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner or in a wrong or bad attitude. It's important you think about what we're doing. Just going through the motion isn't good. You know, oh, here we go again, the Lord's Supper. I got to do this again. Take it without, you come to the table with an attitude of compassion complacency 
This is taken in an unworthy manner. If you come this morning and you have an attitude of complacency, lightheartedly, giving no sincere thought to what the elements represent, as a habit or ritual, letting your mind wander, being frivolous, thinking more about the taste of the bread and the juice. During COVID, they came up with this little cup. Maybe you use it here. You peel it off in the little wafer there, and then you peel that off in a little juice. So, you know, we would not contaminate one another. And the first time we used that, I, I experimented to make sure I was doing the Lord's Supper, and the bread tasted awful. I mean, it just... I just, I just know when we observe the Lord's Supper the first time using this, I just can hear, ah, all through the audience, you know. So I sort of warned them, you know, this bread might not taste uh, like we've been used to. We don't want the taste, oh, this, this, this grape juice is sour or it's diluted or it's salty or whatever it is. Avoid, you know, being distracted. That, we take it in an unworthy manner. It symbolizes, it's important as we drink it, the Lord wants us to remember his blood and remember his body. Uh, perhaps a bitter spirit, an unrepentant heart, self-centered, a pious attitude, an unwholesome spirit. Uh, the Lord wants us to observe the Lord's Supper in a proper manner and a correct attitude. Number six, it's a proclamation of the hope of Jesus' future Return. Yes, it looked past. The, the, the Passover was a way of remembering, um, remembering their time out of Egypt, but it also a picture when the Passover, when Christ, the, the Passover looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, today we take the Lord's Supper. We look back to the ultimate sacrifice that Christ made on the cross to redeem our, our soul. So we... Um, it's a proclamation of the hope of Jesus' future return. Christ died on the cross for our sins, primarily a memorial supper recalling and portraying Christ's death for sinner. But it also looked forward to Christ's second coming. We keep doing this until he comes. Now, when he comes, we won't do it anymore. We'll be with him. But until then, we ought to not only look back to the cross, but think about Jesus is coming again. 2023 could be that year. We have no, I'm thankful I don't know what 2023 going to unfold. I could die. I could end up in the hospital. Jesus could come again. I mean, I could go through the worst trial I ever experienced. I'm glad the Lord doesn't show me what I'm going to have to face, or you. But we do know Jesus is coming again. It could be this year. So as we observe the Lord's Supper, it is also not only looking back, but it's a proclamation of the hope of Jesus' future return our hope is in him our focus is on him we wait for him until he comes we keep doing the lord's Supper. so it's a proclamation of the hope of jesus future turn number seven it's a time to experience an attitude of thankfulness if if if, if any service ought to show our thankfulness is when we take the Lord's Supper. The word thankfulness that was used there is eutychus. It, it's thanksgiving. And so we ought we to be so thankful. Thank, we thank, we're going to have two of the deacons thank the Lord for the elements. 
And we do thank the Lord for the grape juice and we thank the Lord for the bread. But we thank the Lord for what they represent. So as we come and we thank the Lord, we're thinking of the blood that was shed for our sins. We think of the body that was born. We celebrate that, that lived perfect, sacrificed perfect, was crucified on a cross and was beaten and battered. We thank him for his willing to do that. And so it's a time to experience an attitude of great thankfulness. Be appreciative and grateful for your spiritual life that you have in Christ, for your salvation. Grace was freely given, if not of works, taking communion or any other kind of work. We thank God for his son. And so it's a, it's a time to experience an attitude of thankfulness. All right, number eight. It's a means to avoid God's possible judgment and chastening. We made a comment about they were doing this wrong for some time and the Lord was punishing them. They didn't lose their salvation, but uh, they might have got home to heaven quicker than they were thinking of. Uh, they might experience some very serious illness because they, they were not observing the Lord's Supper in the way that the Lord wanted them to do. Paul made direction to it. Says, some of you are sick. So when we do it the right way, when we come together, we observe the Lord's Supper we are really avoiding possible judgment. Judge yourself. Be hard on yourself so that God won't have to judge you. Judge yourself. Don't worry about your wife or your children. Each person, just deal with your own heart, your own soul. And deal with sin. Deal with attitude. Deal with your thought life. Deal with what you're doing. Deal with how you respond so that, uh, that you can take the, the Lord's Supper and avoid any possible chastening from the Lord. Number nine. The ninth thing we should do before we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a prevention for disunity and fracturing the body of Christ, the church. We, we want to we be united as a church. 2023, under the leadership of our pastor and our associate pastor, we, we want our church to go well. We want people to be saved. We want disciples to mature. We want our budget to be met. We want God to be glorified. And we need to be united to do that. And so as we observe the Lord's Supper, as a church family, when we gather together, it's, it's a prevention of disunity and fracturing the body of Christ. It brings unity together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love each other. This is a time that it, it represents unity. Taking communion, communion correctly and there will be unity in our church. If each person gets right, then unity and love will be in the church. If each person is right with God, we will have unity. But if I'm not right with God, I'm going to cause this unity. If there are five or six or ten or twelve or fifteen that's not right with God, they're going to cause some disunity in the Bible or in the body. So it's, it's good when we have the Lord's Supper. It creates unity in the Bible. And number 10, here it is, the one we're waiting for. It's an intimate time to share with Christ just how much you love him. The time to say, I love you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. I know you did it for others, not just me. But you would have done it if I were the only sinner on the face of the earth. You did it to redeem my, and you saved me. I love you so much for that. You ought to love Christ more than you love your mate. Sometimes that, how can, I, how can that possibly be? Because Jesus died for us. He gave us eternal life. 
He is so dear to us. It's, it's an intimate time. What a special time each month. In the quietness of the hour between you and God, you focus on Christ to tell him how much you love him. Taking the Lord's Supper will cause us to have a greater love and appreciation for Christ in his death for you. So that's number 10. Lord, as we conclude our service, the first service of the new year, as we spent time meditating on this important ordinance of you, the Lord's Supper, I pray that each of us, our hearts are right with thee, that we would be able to love each other, walk in unity, accomplish the work that you want Heritage Baptist Church to accomplish this coming year. We do pray for each of us, give us good health, Help us, Lord, to be spiritually healthy as well as physical healthy. Help us, Lord, to love you with our whole heart, our soul, and mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.